Hey guys, this is Joe. I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you're growing on my ass. What's up, guys? It's Eric. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Are you here all by yourself? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. What would you do if your parents accidentally left you home alone? Well, how about shopping? Shaving? Crowbars up. This is my house. I have to defend it. And good old-fashioned crime fighting. Home Alone. Critics are calling it the funniest movie of 1990. Ready PG. Now playing at a theater near you. You're listening to Worth a Late Fee, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if, see if they still think the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. How you doing, Joe? Not bad, Eric. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I have an update from last week. I am apparently, I think, COVID negative. But yeah, yeah. Pretty happy about that. Although my mother, who's a nurse, is she's pretty convinced that the testing system doesn't catch everything and all my stuff lines up with like I probably did have it. But I feel good. My wife feels good. So did you do that test on your own or did they help you when you went there? Because I've heard I heard both. Like sometimes they do it or you do it now in some places. I, I've done it both ways, but this I've had four tests now. Not since the past couple weeks, just over the past eight months or whatever it's been, seven or eight months. This one they did for me, so good. Yeah. I, I would have felt better doing it, having them do it than me doing it on my own and like messing something up or not going deep enough in the nose or oh, whatever. Oh, dude, <laughs> one of the ones I did through, I went through like a, like a pharmacy like drive through uh, one, and I, I I did that twice, and one of them went really well. The second one though, I like did like the the Q tip thing, and then like you're supposed to like do the Q tip and then put it in a bag, or put it in a tube and then put that tube in a bag and then you drop that bag in like a a box that they check but the the second second time i did that i like i don't remember if I, yeah i think i fumbled the entire q-tip so it's it's probably like eric you don't have covid but you do have like we found dunkin donuts coffee grounds <laughs> and like whatever on in your nose but so yeah i could i could totally understand all those would go not well but like i said i'm i'm feeling better I, I felt good for like a week now so i think i yeah i think i think i'm good so hopefully hopefully nothing to worry about but um what about you, you what are you watching anything new i uh finished the santa claus trilogy so i watched two and three and i gave my like quick rundown reviews last week saying i could probably give two a three and a uh three a 2.5 yeah. but watching them again i think i give three a two <laughs> but three a two okay it's it's good but man like it does it really is like the entire film Disney territory up until like the last half, the last quarter of it, which has a, picks a pretty cool spin. But that's the problem with those movies. Like, there's, I really do think Tomorrow is the greatest live action Santa Claus, but they really do get caught up with the Disney, you know, personality where it just gets super kitty. Reindeer starts talking. I'm like, oh, this is this is too much for me. I don't remember where, if we talked about this when we did the Santa Claus episode, but I, Bree and I watched that. I think the day after we did the episode, I think, because I was like, I, I had paid to rent it on like through my cable company. And so I told Brie, I was like, after I watched it and I, and I liked it, I was like, oh, I think you'll like it. Like it's a positive. She had seen it before, but hadn't seen it since we were kids. And so, so we watched it again and she really liked it. So yeah, San Claus 1 is great. San Claus 2, I, I really enjoy San Claus 2 as well. Again, it's like that start of like really going on Disney territory, but it's, it's good. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, you watch anything? We are, Brian and I, <clears throat> I said this last week, but we were watching, we finished American Vandal season one. Now we're watching American Vandal season two. And it's, it's so, it's the perfect combination of like really smart, but stupid, like smart enough where they can act so stupid. So we're loving it. It's the perfect, just like put it on and laugh and, and whatever. I do actually, not something that I'm watching, but something that I'm listening to. Not that this podcast needs any help. Although you could watch it because there's um, four episodes on Netflix and more coming soon. But have you heard of or listened to or watched on Netflix Song Exploder? No, I haven't. Oh, man. It is, if you're a music fan, it's must listen. The, the thing that's, there's four, there's four episodes on Netflix right now that are video. And then there's, I think, four more coming soon. But, and those are great, but there's only eight episodes total. So it's kind of like, and they're like 20 minute episodes or 25 minute. So you kind of run out pretty quick. But the podcast, there's like over 100 episodes. And the, the, the spectrum of music that it covers is so wide. So the good news about that is you can listen to, you'll find songs you like from all across the spectrum right but the bad news is there are some episodes here like i have no interest in that song i don't or that artist or whatever but what they do is they tell the story they interview the song the, the band or the musician and they kind of talk about the making of that song and how it came together and it'll be like if we were in a band it would be like so joe came to me and he had this guitar like rhythm and he started playing that and I was going through this, so I wrote the song about this, and then and they they'll play you different versions of the demos. So like the the song that got me hooked, the episode that got me hooked was on the Netflix show was "Losing My Religion" by REM, and um, you that you hear all these different versions of the song where it didn't have this in the background or it did have this in the background, and if you're a music person, it's it's. The, especially the podcast is must listen to, but if you're on Netflix, you might as well check out at least the REM episode of, of it. So, Oh, cool. Are the uh, Netflix episodes like almost like any repeats from the podcast? Are they completely new? It's, it's completely new from what I can tell. Um, like I, like I said, I listened to the, or I watched the losing my religion episode on Netflix. There is an REM episode on the podcast, but it's not that song. I can't remember what the song is. But like on the podcast, I listen to like um, everything from like uh, you were um, you were meant for me by Jewel to like it goes from like Jewel to Selena Gomez to like everything Mob Deep the rapper like to, to everything. So so That's like I awesome. said, there you might scroll through five or six episodes and be like, I don't even know what that is. But then you'll find also some bands that you're like, I would never think that anyone would give this any attention. It's not all. It's not all like superstars. So they oh, definitely awesome. recommend that sounds it. sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other highlight of my life that happened, we, I know we texted about it, but um, <laughs> I was going to put it on my LinkedIn uh, profile. Mario Lopez, a.k.a. A.C. Slater, he's making a movie where he plays like a young Colonel Sanders, like a young – that's right. A.C. Slater plays Colonel Sanders from KFC. And – I shared like a post about that and Mario Lopez's official Instagram like liked it or did like the fire thing. And so I'm done now. I've re- this is like the apex of my career. I'm done. I, as a huge save by the bell fan, I have nowhere to go but down after that. I sure hope 
this has become a, tr- a, a trend now with uh, marketing mini movies. Oh. I hope this is becoming a trend. I don't want to see McDonald's mini movie. I don't want to see like these really weird <laughs> takes on. I want to know how you're like making a movie, and I like I really do like Mario Lopez. He also I does do. Bra- he does Brazilian Jiu Jitsu too. So you know, obviously we have that connection. But um, how? What number on like the casting list was Mario Lopez to play to play <laughs> Colonel Sanders? But whatever, I wish him the best. I hope it does well. No, um, I don't want to put the spot here, Eric, because I was going <laughs> to ask it next week. But I kind of want to know: Do you have a favorite? I was so originally Eric and I were talking about kind of having like a special episode dedicated to this, but do a time and everything, it didn't work out. But do you have a favorite Christmas special? Because I'm actually going to watch my favorite special in the next coming days or so. But do you have like a favorite, like whether it's like a TV show or a standalone episode or something that is Christmas related and you just love? I know I do. I'm, I'm like hesitant to, to like commit to one. So I will counter that with, I was going to ask you if we could do like top three Christmas songs. Okay. So next next week when we, when we do you know your episode whatever movie you pick, we'll have a we'll have two bonus questions. One will be top three Christmas songs, and one will be top three um, like Christmas specials for sitcoms or whatever. Is that fair? Sounds good. Yep. All right. All right. Gotta have something to look forward to. So it's my movie this week, which I'll get into the movie in a second. But the beer that I'm drinking to go with it, I did um. What was it? White Holiday Ale, whatever they call it now. Same from Sam Adams last week. This week I'm doing it's Christmas pancakes. Uh, it's a stout from Hardywood Brewing in uh, in uh, Virginia, I believe. So very good, um, very sweet, and way stronger than it tastes. I think it's like nine percent alcohol. So it's one of those ones that could get you into trouble if you just start drinking it and forget about that. But nine point two percent alcohol, but but good. So good, good one to get uh to watch around the holiday season so or to drink around the holiday season and this is my week it's my only christmas pick this year because i gave joe two of the christmas picks so because it's more important to him (laughs) than it is to me (laughs) and since i only have one pick i think it's the perfect one for me it's home alone um i'm not as into christmas as joe i don't think anyone is (laughs) but this movie was huge for my generation my childhood i've probably seen it at least 50 times no exaggeration so um what is your memory of of home alone joe yeah this is a holiday staple in my household growing up as well um along with the sequel which isn't as good um and as a kid i wanted to be kevin the kid gets to stay home alone pull out the tricks to stop the enemies it's and i i also loved growing up too that the family isn't perfect and it's a bit dysfunctional from the beginning, which was very relatable for me. And my, like when we had a large, large family gathering. So I'm like, this is normal. This is a normal lifestyle. Thank you. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. This, this movie was kind of like, I mean, it came out in 90. I was five years old. It's kind of just ever pre. I don't remember life really before home alone. I, um, I do remember watching this movie within the last 10 years or so. And having a hard, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I remember watching some of the scenes where the, you know, Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci were trying to break into the house and viewing like uh, the scenes where like they're stepping on glass or they're, 
getting a nail in the foot or whatever, that's not as fun to watch once you're an adult and you've, <laughs> and you've, and you've had something <laughs> similar to that. I've never had that, but that hurt when you're a kid, you're just like, ha 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 ha. That sucks for you, man. But once you're a adult, you're like, Oh God, that's, that's brutal. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 this movie, I don't, like I said, I don't remember a time without this movie. Do you have any uh, stats for how it did uh, financially? Yeah. So it came out on November 10th, 1990 had a budget of 18 million, making $477.1 million in the box Not office. Not bad. Not bad. That's also known as a guaranteed sequel. Oh, yeah. So this movie has so much talent involved, directed by the amazing Chris Columbus, written and produced by the legendary John Hughes, and scored by this little guy named John Williams. Absolutely insane. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's and, and, and that's, and that, that's kind of behind the scenes. And then the cast is another. Right. And the cast has, has aged well. I don't have much notes about like Catherine O'Hara or whatever, but this cast is almost more impressive now than it Absolutely. was at the time. And it was impressive at the time. Even but Catherine O'Hara just won um, um, Emmys Shits, recently. For Shit's Creek, yeah. Yeah, she's like, yep. she's like on top of the world right now. More so, I think, now than she was for this movie. That's what I mean. Like up, in, up until recently, she was kind of like, I mean, she had other very good performances and successful movies and whatever. But up until recently, she was like the lady from home alone or whatever other movie. Now she's like, like you said, on top of the world um, because of Shit's Creek. So uh, critically, or or at least online critically, it's 65% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is lower than I thought it would be. Um, 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb and only two and a half stars from Roger Ebert, which that kind of surprised me, but we talked about that last week with the Santa Claus where I, my personal opinion, and this is based on nothing other than just like a hunch, is that Roger Ebert is such a like purist that once you get into Christmas movies, it's like it has to be a wholesome traditional Christmas movie like It's a Wonderful Life or White Christmas or something for, for him to to like it. I kind of want to look up to see if we reviewed uh, Christmas Vacation. <laughs> I'm kind of curious now. <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's so clearly a comedy that he, he could like kind of detach, but I don't know. Um, so it came out, like you said, in November of 1990, some other films that came out that month, it was a pretty good month. Um, so child's play too, not really my thing, uh, but you know, notable it from Stephen King, Rocky five came out the same day. Um, and then dances with wolves. And we'll eventually get to the Rocky movies, but or at least <clears throat> at least a couple of them. But I will say about Rocky Five, and I and now given I view the Rocky movies differently because I wasn't, I didn't, I was a lot. By the time I was born, a few of them were already out, so you don't. It's not like I saw one in theaters when it was in theaters and and so on. But I actually don't mind Rocky Five. It's totally different than the other ones, but it's I don't mind it. But so all in all, it was a good month for for cinema and outside of film. Um, Mary Robinson was elected the first female president of Ireland. So Ireland did that in 1990. We're still a ways, <laughs> we're still behind, but that's okay. Uh, Chris Isaac released uh, Wicked Games, uh, the single. Barry Bonds won the NL MVP in baseball, and Ricky Henderson won the AL MVP in baseball. So good. Uh, I think it's a pretty good month all around. I'm sure there was some horrible stuff that I skipped over, some assassinations and suicides. And... Let's give a, we'll keep it, we'll keep Christmas yeah. nice and happy. Yeah, it's holidays, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So do you have the, the back of the DVD summary? I do. When Brady, eight-year-old Kevin McAllister, acts out the night before a family trip to Paris, his mother makes him sleep in the attic. Nice mom. As McAllister's mistakenly leave for the airport without Kevin, he awakens to an empty house and assumes his wish to have no family has come true. But his excitement sours when he realizes that two con men plan to rob the McAllister residence and that he alone must protect the family home. And, and listening to you read the back of that DVD, it's obviously genius. And it's every little kid's unrealistic dream, like, oh, I'd be fine if I had the house to myself, um, which obviously isn't true in reality. But John Hughes proves again that he is in touch with like young people's thoughts like no one else and this time it's not high school kids it's, it's an eight-year-old but he he had like another part of his brain or something where he could just flip a switch and just like you said this is every little kid's dream like oh i'm home alone whatever or you think it is and it's terrifying but when i was a kid and i watched this i didn't you don't know i didn't know who john hughes was i didn't really care who john hughes was but now when you watch this, and, and we've done this over a few of our episodes talking about him, he really is a genius. So as far as how people were doing going into the into this film, let's start with writer-producer John Hughes. So I'm just going to talk about films that he wrote for, so for now. So we'll leave out some of the other ones that he may have been, like director, but he didn't write or whatever. So National Lampoon's Vacation in 83, 16 Candles in 84, Breakfast Club and European Vacation and Weird Science in 85, Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller in 86, Some Kind of Wonderful and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles in 87, Great Outdoors in 88, Uncle Buck uh, and Christmas Vacation in 89, Home Alone in 90. And after this, he, he still had more good stuff after this, but I think Home Alone in 90 was the, was like, if he was building up, building up, building up, this is kind of the peak of his career. I'm not saying that Home Alone was the best thing he ever did. It wasn't. But this is like he was on top of the world more than 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 he ever was again. And again, he had more impressive work after this. But what stretch from 83 to 1990. That is insane. It really is. Yeah. Um, Macaulay Culkin, he had Uncle Buck in 89. and then But this is really when he, you know, kind of became America's kid. Home Alone in ninety, My Girl in ninety one, which oh my god, what a what a movie My Girl is. Killed Home me as Alone. a kid. Cr- oh. was, give me my my favorite beats came from that movie. Oh my god, <laughs> my 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 all my friends. So all my friends have oh not all of them, but a lot of my friends have a fear of bees. And my thing with bees, have I told you this? My thing with bees is I go. I don't think so. Like my friends will freak out and they're like, oh, dude, a bee, or like Brie will freak out. And she's like, oh, there's a bee, get away from me. And I go, guys, if you don't bother them they don't bother you. Cause that's what my dad's like always said to me growing up. And then I get stung. <laughs> I've stuck up for bees my entire life. And all they do is, is keep proving me wrong, but <laughs> I'm over that. But so home alone two in 92 and then a good sign in 93. And then, you know, he, Macaulay Culkin was kind of the first Hollywood child actor that I saw kind of like go downhill. Not like, I think he's, relatively okay now like he's not for completely, sure but like I, I was almost um he's a few years older than me i don't know maybe he's like five years older than me i don't even know but so i he was the first one that i had a connection to as far as growing up and you know it's sad but 
he's hopefully he's good now. He is. He yeah. He has like his own website now. He has uh, this. He was part of this band. I'm not sure if he still is, but I think it's the Pizza Underground where they have pizza themed songs, and he's just like he has fun with a lot of things now. He's, hopefully, he's got more than that pizza band going on because that doesn't sound like it pays the bill. <laughs> I think his website is actually pretty successful. His his website he runs now, Bunny Ears okay. or something like that, something Bunny Ears. But yeah, it's like that's he came back kind of in the light spotlight with like Home Alone commercials and everything recently because of that website. He's like trying to make, rebrand himself basically. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. I didn't realize until rewatching it that Kieran was his brother in this. I, like when you're a kid, you don't know, but right. So that family's um, so that family's so talented. <laughs> Yeah, no, they, they got something going. Um, and then then the, the, the two crooks, so Joe Pesci. Looking back at Joe Pesci's film, you know, resume, it's kind of weird. So he is he is Raging Bull in eighty. He is Once Upon a Time in America Once Upon a Time in America in eighty four, Lethal Weapon two in eighty nine. And there are there are other films like scattered throughout there, but those are the big ones. So to come out of the gate with Raging Bull, but then over the next nine years Really, the, the significant films are Once Upon a Time in America in 84 and Lethal Weapon 2 in 89. If you had asked me without looking, I would have assumed he, he had a lot more like hits in the 80s once, you know, after Raging Bull. So, but then obviously 1990 was good to Joe Pesci. He had, he had Goodfellas, which is, in my opinion, one of the maybe the best mob movie ever made. Home Alone in 90 as well. JFK in 91, My Cousin Vinny, former uh, old episode of the podcast, in 92, Lethal Weapon 3 in 93, Home Alone 2, and A Bronx Tale in 93, um, With Honors in 94, which, have you ever seen With Honors? I can't remember if we talked about that. I don't think I have, no. So With Honors is a movie that I think, I grew up with it. I think it's probably not that good, but I, but since I grew up with it, I like really like it, so we'll have to We'll have to do it. It's set in Boston or in Cambridge at, at Harvard, but um, it's got Brendan Fraser and actually Patrick Dempsey. Oh, um, is that the movie when uh, it's a, like he's playing football or something, but he's Jewish or something no, like that? No, that's school ties. That's okay, school ties. Okay. Yeah. No, but with honors is is that it, it, I I'd be interested to see like I've watched it with people who didn't grow up with it, and they're kind of just like, eh. Yeah, but I, and so I think it's like a, a pretty mediocre film, but I, I grew up with it, so I really like it. And then Casino in '95, and then so on. Obviously, Joe Pesci's had quite the career. So, uh, and then the other, the other crook, Daniel Stern. The early '90s were definitely his peak. So, Home Alone in '90, City Slickers in '91, Home Alone Two in '92, Rookie of the Year in '93. Another film we've talked about, City Slickers Two in '94, and then Celtic Pride in '96. '96. So. Obviously, Daniel Stern's done other stuff since then, but uh, the he's early. Still... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say he's still super. Like he's a he's a super cool dude though. He's like so part. He's like he still acknowledges the fact that he is Marv from Home Alone. Like he still goes on YouTube videos, makes you all these like YouTube videos, is like pretending to be in that character still. And yeah. he's so cool. <laughs> I love actors that, or like musicians. It's the same thing. Like. I get that it's not everyone's dream to always be known as this guy. Or if you're a musician, you don't always want to have to play that one single that like really made you famous. But I love actors or musicians or celebrities of any kind that aren't afraid to, they know how lucky they are. You know what I mean? Because I get so frustrated when, when actors try to 
refuse to like acknowledge this certain film that our TV show that they blew up from because it's like you don't know who would kill to have that TV show or movie or whatever. So no, I, I totally agree with you. That that makes me when I watch actors on like late night shows or whatever, nothing makes me respect a person more than them being like just totally able to laugh themselves or whatever. So do you have anything written down for our random facts? The more, you know, stuff. Yeah, I have a few. Um, I thought this was a nice way to start it off. Catherine O'Hara revealed it in 2014 that Macaulay Culkin still calls her mom, which I love. I saw um, that. That's cool. Yeah. Joe Pesci deliberately avoided Macaulay Culkin on set because he wanted Culkin to think he was mean. And then finally, Joe Pesci kept forgetting that he was filming a family movie during his character's on-screen outburst. So director Chris Columbus advised him to say fridge instead of the F word, which I actually read that before. I can't remember where I read that, but that is the most Joe Pesci. Oh, it was a, a Reddit post recently. That is the most Joe Pesci statement of all time. He couldn't stop saying fuck. So they had him say fridge instead. <laughs> I have, I don't, I mean, I don't swear as much as Joe Pesci. I don't think, but <laughs> I know like when I'm around my, my niece and nephew, I think I swear a decent amount. And sometimes I'll just be like, Oh, you know, bleep and bleep and then breathe my wife will like elbow me and she's like eric i'm like oh my god i'm so sorry i i just i forget but i also saw that note about joe pesci um kind of giving macaulay coke on the cold shoulder so he he was afraid of him or he thought he was a jerk and i i was like i laughed and i was like that's kind of a jerk move though because he's a little kid you don't need to get like full like into you know into character around the little boy but whatever um I have a few written down. So although the part was written, especially for Macaulay Culkin by John Hughes, several hundred other boys were auditioned by Chris Columbus. Um, and according to the DVD commentary, Columbus was, he was kind of hesitant to cast Macaulay Culkin because Hughes had just recently worked with him in Uncle Buck and he didn't want it to look like he was a pushover or anything like that. Um, some other people that are considered for Harry's role. So Danny DeVito, John Lovitz uh, were considered. Robert De Niro turned down the role, but Joe Pesci worked with De Niro on Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Casino, other some other ones, Good Shepherd, The Irishman. He got the part instead. But of those three, of so of Danny DeVito, John Lovitz, and Robert De Niro, I actually think John Lovitz of those three, I, I wouldn't change it. I think Pesci's the perfect pick for it. But of those three, I think Lovitz is the perfect like. He, he he would have been the best pick for it because he's like kind of like greasy seeming. He can play he can a bad s- guy. Yeah, he can be like very like has a sneakiness to him. I think like exactly that sneakiness is a good way of saying it. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of John Lovitz, real quick, completely off topic, but I just watched the other day. Have you ever seen the critic? Real quick, the, the, the cartoon. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I, okay. That's good. like my okay. yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. I started rewatching that for the first time in a few years, and that still makes me laugh. I still think it's the one of the best cartoons ever made. <laughs> I think if that came out today, it would be more successful than it was then. It just there wasn't there wasn't the spot or the space for cartoons that were more aimed at like adults, not in like a weird way, but like adult sense of humor at that time, like there is now. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that would do a lot better now. But yeah, that was funny. Um, some casting possibilities for Marv. So for Daniel Stern, um, Michael Richards was also considered for it, and Christopher Lloyd reportedly turned down the role of Marv. Now, Christopher Lloyd, I think, was 
kind of too big for that role. And, and so I don't, I don't know that that's why he turned it down, but I, I think that makes sense. Michael Richards, it's tough because you have to think of that two separate ways. Michael Richards, before you found out that he went on that like racist tirade right. about whatever, if you just think of Michael Richards as Kramer in Seinfeld before you found out that he was maybe not the, the sweetest guy, I actually think that would work. I think so too. And he was coming off of, I can't remember when it came out now. It might have been around this time, um, Problem Child. And that was a yep. big movie when it came out with John, with John Renner, one. So like, I'm sure yep. that movie, kind of like that mean guy mentality, did that come up before or after? Did that come up before nineteen ninety or right after? I, I if I had a guess, I would say before, but I, I'm I'm because it would make my, it sure. would make sense for count before because he really was a it was, good bad guy in that movie. That came out in July of nineteen ninety. Okay, so so it probably that probably didn't play a f- factor in it because they were probably already filming this. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, just some uh, foreshadowing things, real quick. So I thought this was pretty cool. When Kevin attacks Buzz, like when when the family's still home and he spills milk all over the counter, and everyone's trying to clean up the spill and whatever, as he throws of uh, Peter Peter tries to clean everything up, and as he throws a wad of wet napkins away, he also throws a plane ticket away by mistake, and you can see the ticket in the garbage with Kevin's name on it in black marker. So I watched this movie twice, or kind of like once and a half, one and a half times because I watched it once paying attention to it earlier today and then i watched it off and on the day before and so when i I read this fact and i went back and i watched it and it you can't actually see it so that's pretty cool um and that explains why he was left to home alone um and then the other thing that i this will kind of tie into later on we talk about some favorite scenes and stuff so the movie originally ended when uh kevin's father peter asked him what what he was like up to while they were gone and kevin just says just hung around that initially was just a freeze frame. So we'd say, oh, I just hung around and then that was it. But John Hughes and Chris Columbus decided to drop the ending and they decided to end the movie instead with Kevin looking through the window and seeing Marley reuniting with his family. Right call. A totally right call. And and Hughes and Columbus uh, decided to give this movie an emotional and uh, moving, upbeat, happier ending and let the audience know that Marley took Kevin's advice, blah, blah, blah. So I, that scene, I didn't remember as a kid you know because it just doesn't really when you're a kid that doesn't matter to you but watching it again i was like that is awesome so like you said a right call do you have anything written down for stuff that wouldn't fly in today's environment not in this millennium stuff not really i had the joke is the whole plot with cell phones now would be completely destroyed but other than that i, I don't think it's really offensive at all yeah i so i what i have written down it's a it's a weird like kind of go i have it see it both ways nothing in this movie bothered me at all i love it that said i grew up at this time um this movie would be way if they if you made this movie today it would be way toned down like everything from how the crooks were to kevin like throw you couldn't make a movie where crooks like threw a kid up against a wall and they were like talking about like cutting off his fingers or whatever they're talking about Um, that that surprised me like watching that again like I watched this movie quite a bit, but like I was, like you said, paying attention. And when he says that, I'm gonna bite this finger off. I'm like, Jesus. Right, right. So stuff like that would have to be toned down. But don't. But like you said, nothing bothered me at all. It's just when you watch it, you're like, oh, this is clearly from a different era a little bit. Wouldn't fly today, but 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 I loved it. Whatever. So, what do you have uh, for favorite scene? 
So for our favorite scene, it's fun watching him live every kid's dream about being home alone. But the last act is the best and the most memorable. The stunts this kid comes up with are a ton of fun to watch. And while it may have been funnier as a kid, it still gets a ton of enjoyment watching all of uh, this all unfold. Pesci and Stern are such great villains. And while they're fairly clumsy and not that bright, they're still really terrifying. <laughs> um, the most important character needs a shout out, and that's Kevin's neighbor, Marley. The man is essentially a guardian angel, and it really goes to show you should never judge a book by its cover, which is sort of the theme in both Home Alone and the sequel, Lost in New York. And I also loved his minor side story with his family. We got just enough to understand him as a person, but not too much to drag out his plot. So just because one of the things you just said made me think of it. One thing that I, one thing that I found myself thinking watching it to, uh, earlier today and yesterday or the day before, whatever it was, is, and I know it's a movie, so you just have to like watch the movie and turn your brain off a little bit. But I was like, there's like a million other houses on the street that all look like they probably, I know they said like, oh, this house is the, because Joe Pesci was doing that thing where he's going around as a cop and kind of scouting it out. But you had, you had to wonder like, if this is giving you any trouble or the kids there or anyone's there, why don't you just go go next door? Move on. (laughs) It's not like it's a rough neighborhood and this is the one nice house. Like all the houses on the street look like mansions. But no, I agree with you. Um, so I, one of my, I have, I have two answers for favorite scene. One is for like five-year-old me and one is for adult me. So five-year-old uh, Eric, like you said, I love the scenes when he realizes my favorite sequence. It's not really a scene because it's kind of a few scenes, but is when he first realizes he's home alone and he's just living the eight-year-old dream where he's like eating ice cream, watching TVs, TV shows his parents wouldn't like want him to watch. I, it's fun and I also love like the innocence of that because like when when you're that age that's the equivalent of like hitting the lottery like you're you know he just he's on top of the world so as a kid and trying to think of how I would have watched it when I when I did watch it when I was younger that's probably my favorite scene but then adult me I love the ending when Marley reunited with his family like I said I don't, I don't even remember that from when I was a kid so that was like that hit me a little bit different that scene set up by the conversation between Kevin and Marley in the church. It just closes the whole loop. Like they both have, at least for now worked out things with their family and they're both very similar, which is funny because Kevin's an eight year old kid and Marley's like a, however year old older guy, but they have similar flaws and grudges and whatever. So I really like that. Um, This is uh, usually something you care more about but i'm especially for this film what do you think about for this what do you have written down for the soundtrack the soundtrack might be the most recognizable amongst christmas films the licensed music is incredible and i feel like some of those songs were made um even more popular because of this movie like rock around the christmas tree for example um and even the score by john williams is amazing of course so i in my opinion this is the best movie to feature christmas songs of all time i think that this i agree with that or at least it's you know definitely in the top whatever but um this is also the perfect soundtrack for you and i to talk about because i tend to like soundtracks like when i think of a soundtrack i think of like soundtrack with songs and you are kind of more tied into soundtracks that are like scores and and everything like that i like those too and you like soundtracks with songs too but 
that's the kind of the way we both lean. And this film has both and both done very well. So Absolutely. yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And then I wanted to make a note. This, this is where I was going to ask you about the picking the favorite Christmas songs, but I have to say this as a non, I didn't grow up going to church or anything like that. Um, I love Christmas music. And even if the song is clearly like Bible reference after Bible reference after like that, I have no idea. I have no connection to it. I'm like, I love this song. I do. So yeah, no, I, I love it all. Um, and I do have to say I, too, uh, Mondo, who as a, again, that special T, so I bring up very so often, they actually put out a record um, for this movie. So if you're interested in both the score and license music, they have a really cool, um, pizza colored variant of so you can pizza. I'm actually wearing my little narrows pizza shirt. But anyways, oh yeah, yeah. But the, the records are pretty cool. They have like a pizza splatter is called where it's like different <laughs> colors of like yellow, pepperoni colored dots and everything spread around. Um, and the cover is super cool. It's the house and it opens up with like the lights on. Everything is really well done. So if anyone's interested in collecting vinyl, Mondo has out. a really cool yeah variant up on their website. Nice. Nice. Um, what do you have written down for if you could change one thing? So I would probably change, I mean, probably Kevin's day-to-day life. It goes on, I think, a bit too long. It's great getting that perspective on Kevin and how he can handle himself for the most part. But we got too large of a look on that life, I think. Once the movie becomes a live-action cartoon, that's what's most memorable. And I wish that went um, on just a little bit longer, like more tricks and gags and so forth. But having the last act be focused on that makes the whole thing something to look forward to, which is like it's a good thing. But I do wish the movie turned around at about the halfway point of the movie, about 45 minutes or so, instead of the last, instead of like an hour, the last half hour, having it be the last act with like all the action happening. Yep. Yep. No, I, I, yeah, I could see, I could see that. I, I really struggled with what I would change um, in this, in this one. I, it wasn't like I don't think this movie's perfect, but I I I didn't really have there wasn't something that stuck out to me that if you change that it definitely improves it. So I I, I t- the one note that I wrote was that I like you could tone I could probably have done with a little bit less of the Biff stuff, but he's supposed to be like the older brother that you hate. So the fact that I didn't like it and could have done with less of it is probably proof that it was doing exactly what they wanted it to do because you're right. supposed to hate him. Yeah, Buzz was kind of like, he was kind of like that character. Like you oh, sorry, said. Buzz. Yeah, sorry. No, like you said, he was kind of like that character that if you removed, he wouldn't really have an impact. It was fun for like, he was good for like a couple of like jokes, like one line is like your quote in the beginning of the movie, my quote in the beginning of the movie, whatever. So it was, he was good for that, for those parts, like the gags, I guess. But like you said, you, you, know said, you didn't really. <laughs> you know what ironically was my least favorite Buzz line was at the end when he just goes like he just totally flips and he's like all right you're all right or i don't i don't remember what it was but it was like i was like that's not how that goes like that's not <laughs> you can't be like the perfect older brother jerk the whole time which you know you're not likable and whatever and then just like flip like it makes sense that the adults would flip because they're mature and they can put together what happened but um the other the other thing that kind of tie into what you said i guess is if you did a little bit less with that with like the kevin you know living the life stuff um the john candy 
thing where he's great. John Candy is a legend and you know, you forget how funny he was and how talented he was. I would have either liked a little bit less or I would I should say I would like either like it to be a cameo where he's in one scene or cut some of the stuff that you like you talked about and put give me more John Candy cuz he's just kind of that like in between where you're like he's almost a supporting cast member. He's like past right. cameo, but not, you know what I mean? I uh, know. I'd agree. And I thought he said what we had of him. I definitely think that dragged a little bit, even though it wasn't a whole lot. If they gave him more of like an actual subplot, so just a guy bringing her back home, it would have been a little better, but that's all he was really good for is a couple yeah. jokes and personalized stories or whatnot. So a little less or a little more, either make right. it like the one scene at the airport, make him like that, the older couple where Kevin, where she asks like, which that was weird too when she's like trying to trade her watch for and her like <laughs> earrings and stuff. But make it a scene like that where you see him once and and it's funny and then he's gone, or make it make him a part of the movie, part like I a movie. So, uh, all that said, um, if you guys have listened before, you know we rate films on a scale of one to five. Would you mind paying a late fee to keep this movie? So a score of one is you turn the movie on. You can't deal with Buzz or his girlfriend or whatever. You turn it off within the first 15 minutes before they even leave to go to, before they even get on the plane, uh, all the way up to a score of five, which is, you know, you're willing to keep the movie an extra day or two or three, maybe even buy it from the rental store so you don't have to bring it back. Um, this is my pick. So I believe Joe goes first. Joe, uh, what are you giving Home Alone? This one was kind of hard for me to review. Um, I, like I mentioned, I love this movie. I, love this franchise that established for the most part and this movie like we talked about this movie is every kid's dream and i loved it as a kid i love it now i still watch it every single year it's essentially a live action cartoon which is really cool like we were i wasn't used to this as a kid and so like it was a big thing for me the acting is awesome there's so much talent evolved with it and i was really struggling between i the dreaded 3.75 score and four but it really does deserve a four. It's timeless. The soundtrack's amazing. And again, it spawned a pretty good sequel and a very underrated third film with a different cast. It's a timeless film and it will continue my rotation. Okay. So that's that's interesting because, and I think that I have a theory on, well, I'll give my score first, but so like the Santa Claus, I thought I would enjoy this one and I actually liked it more than I thought it would. Um, one thing that to me that this had over the Santa Claus was nostalgia and, and don't get me wrong. Like both, I remember both from when I was a kid, but this came out when I was five. So home alone hits just like a little bit harder for me. And so I think that that's interesting to hear your score compared to my score for both films, because I think you're just, you're a little bit younger than me. So Santa Claus is probably Santa Claus probably filled a, a similar spot for your life and your childhood that this did for mine. So um, obviously it's a little bit different to watch as an adult, but again, I mentioned this earlier, blown away by John Hughes. Um, that is something I didn't get when I was younger. Um, he's an absolute genius, totally unmatched in my opinion. And also the Marley stuff that I, I when you're a kid, I remembered him being just like a creepy homeless guy who bashed him in the show. I remember then where he defends him, but I didn't remember the whole like character development stuff. So um, all that said for me, I'm going to actually give, and this is surprising. I gave home alone a four and a half out of five. Yeah. I really enjoyed rewatching this and um, 
Yeah, big fan. And and like I didn't even think of this until you said it, but Macaulay Culkin's awesome in this. Like you totally get why he was like this like really good quote unquote really good child actor because if you compare him to I can't remember the kid from the Santa Claus and this isn't a, this isn't Eric a knock yeah. yeah this isn't a knock on Eric Lloyd but it's like two different like stratospheres as far as like acting goes but right I actually um, believe that Kevin could take care of himself <laughs> yeah yeah but like so, you said about Marley though I think Marley is the unsung hero of this movie like obviously Macaulay Culkin's great Pesci's great Stern's great you know O'Hara's great and everything but yep. man Marley was such a good character and like they play him just enough to not make him a drag, his plot mm-hmm. drag. Like they did him perfectly, I thought, in this movie. Yep. So no, I agree. that was nice watching it again. I agree. Um, and the beer from uh, Hardywood Brewery, the Christmas pancakes, very good. Like I said, super sweet and strong. So you have to be careful drinking it because if you try to put down a few of them, you'll, you'll be feeling it. But perfect Christmas beer to, to enjoy while watching Home Alone. And I'll pick up a new beer for next week's episode uh next week's joe's pick so um follow us on instagram um if you if there's a certain christmas movie you want us to review get the suggestion in quick because we're running out of time but send us a message we'll try to sneak it in if not it's joe's pick so uh, oh sorry on instagram we're worth a late fee uh that's who you send that to and but actually, if not it's go ahead i was saying actually we're on uh, amazon music now as you i posted today on the story I did. I did. Amazon Music. Yeah. So we're, we, we made it big. That was like the coolest. That was a cool moment for me to ask Alexa to put on our podcast and have her, have her actually know what it was. And then I tried to show my wife. I was like, Brie, check this out. And I go, I can't even say it because I have a schmashmaxa device in this room that'll. <laughs> um, I was like, Brie, check it out. And I tried to get her to do it for her. And it was like, I don't understand what you're saying. And I was like, I swear to God, it's, it knew. Like a minute ago, it knew. But anyway. Next week is Joe's pick. Like I said, he gets two out of the three, two out of three Christmas picks because this is his uh, favorite time of year. So, which Christmas movie are we watching next week, Joe? Or talking about next week? So, like you said, this will be our last holiday film of the season. So, we're making an exception and breaking a, breaking a rule where we try and stay in the '90s, '80s, and so forth. But we're going to beginning 2000s to revisit the polar express so yeah joe we this isn't going to be a, a an every week thing where joe stretches it to 2000 what is that 2004 yeah yep 2004 but it's christmas you know joe wouldn't shut up about it so <laughs> we'll, we'll go into the 2000s for uh for christmas for joe so yeah thank you guys for listening and we'll be back next week with polar express as always thank you <laughs>